0: Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD, streaming live at wordradio.com. Attorney Jacqueline Newsom of the Defense Association of Philadelphia joins us to sector the record straight and shed light on any disparities there may be between the two. Welcome, Attorney Newsom. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you all for inviting me. You're welcome. Thank you for
0: joining us. Hello, world. How are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to go talk I to my know, mom about I know, I um,
0: know. Attorney Newsom, you must know that the way we work here is like we have young people and they're still in school and stuff. So they'll be doing 50 things. It's like a very open and free space. I love that. Great, great. Now, let's start. I'm going to start us out. Let's start. What are the nuances between a private attorney and a public defender? or Is it public attorney? How do you
1: how is it defined? We call ourselves public defenders, um, but we are court appointed attorneys. So uh, the distinction there is that sometimes if there is what we call conflict in a case, So if I, along with my friend are both arrested at the same time on the same case, um, and both of us are in need, uh, both of us are indigent, we need an attorney to be appointed to us. One of us will be appointed to the public defender's office, right? And that's all the the work the public defender does. And then one of us will be appointed to an attorney who is not a public defender, who who maybe works on their own, uh, charges money typically for cases, but the court is appointing them to take the case because the person is indigent. So the only difference between a court appointed attorney or a public defender and a private attorney is that the private attorney is privately retained, that the person who is hiring them or the family that's hiring them is paying them whatever their fee is, whatever they request, Um, that's the only difference. Thank you, Ralph.
0: (laughs)
2: So my question that I wanted to ask is, what criteria determines the eligibility for a public defender and how financially strained does an individual have to be in order to qualify for that?
1: So public defender's offices across the country uh, do this a bit differently. Some of them are very strict. like There is actually a number that a person has to be below in order to qualify for the public defender. I would say most offices, however, are pretty lenient. And if you are indigent, um, indigent, it's just another word for poor If you're below the poverty line If you um, Indicate orally Without sort of any proof that you need the public defender Likely the public defender will be Appointed to you
0: Okay I And I'm going to bring this up so you guys Can get a good laugh I attempted to get a public defender Years and years about 20 years Ago um, for traffic Court <laughs> they
1: wouldn't let me but I will, so I will say here they don't do that but I was uh, a fellow at a public defender's office in Georgia and there they do have public defenders represent you um, in traffic court. So it just depends on where you are. So not totally unreasonable, not totally unreasonable.
0: <laughs> I was really upset that they wouldn't let me have one. They said I, I had too much money. You can even <laughs> see my bank records. What are you talking about? But one thing I want to, <laughs> let's address something now and you can clear this up because you know people's perceptions of public defenders that they constantly push for plea deals. What measures ensure a fair defense
1: for the accused. Talk to me about that, please clear that up. Oh, I've been thinking about how I would attack a question like this. Um, And I guess I should have said in the beginning, um, I indicated the only difference between a public defender um, and a private attorney is the money, right? Um, That is spent on hiring them. A common uh, misconception is that public defenders are not real lawyers. Um, that is not true. So I am an attorney. I sat. I, I personally have sat for um, the Illinois Bar and the Georgia Bar, and then I have been uh, licensed to practice law so long that I was able to wave into the Pennsylvania Bar. I went to the University of Chicago Law School. So my my law school experience, my law school debt is all very real, just like any other attorney um, that you would pay money to. So. We want to get that part of the way because i think that sometimes people think oh there's plea deals involved because we're not real lawyers that's not true it's also untrue that public defenders engage in plea bargaining any more than privately retained attorneys that's untrue people simply feel better when their private attorney says hey hey this is what i worked out for you this is for the best versus someone that they didn't get to choose, that they don't know and that they don't trust. So asking the question about what, what sort of measures are in place to ensure that people aren't abused, potentially by public defenders and plea deals is actually-
0: Or even regular private lawyers too, because they can abuse people too. So sure. just tell the people in general, what should you look for? Or what should, if you see something, what should turn you off of an attorney?
1: So I will, I can answer that question, but the answer to that question is different from the answer about the plea deal question, because the plea deal question is actually a prosecution or as we say in Philadelphia, a Commonwealth centered question. The question isn't, why is my attorney suggest, suggesting that I plead guilty to something, right? The question is, what is the system? create penalties such that it's better for me to say I did something to get a lower outcome. That's really the question. Why is the system set up to do that? Why am I overcharged, right? Why does the DA's office do that? Knowing they can't make out the case so that I am forced into a deal because I'm afraid of the sentencing numbers in front of me or because I'm afraid of the felony record, right? Or the, what the accusation is called. So that's really the question to ask there. It's not about the attorney on the defense side, right? It's about the prosecution. Yes. And I understand
0: a lot of people don't know this, but anything the prosecution gives you, you have to present it to your client. That's correct. But you, and then after that, you you can make your suggestions on what you think they should do. But you have to present these plea deals to the client. And I'm like you, like, why do we need this fear to put into people for them to plead guilty? You know, uh, I know someone, I'll (laughs) let you out of jail for, you know, and I'll give you this and I'll give you that and you're going to be a felon, but we'll let you out. I mean, I am with you. I don't understand that part. How, and I I don't know if you can give me an answer, but like why in the sense of the prosecution and in, I'd say, a court's, court of law anyway is that even permitted go ahead and say I don't know
1: <laughs> I can't say the answer isn't I don't know the answer is it's what, it's what we all know to be true right it's about it's it's how a white supremacist carceral state works right the goal isn't to help or support or protect people the goal is to continue to keep people in bondage and so you'll do that hook or crook right and it's often crook
0: right Right, I like you, you're pretty cool I like you, I like the straight <laughs> up answers I know, I greatly appreciate it Because a lot of people don't want to get You know, don't want to turn this one off Or that one off um, Ralph, you have a question?
2: Yeah, so One of the questions was how? So my previous question was You know, how financially strained Would you have to be to qualify, right? So my next question to follow up after that was actually would so like so somebody who still has a job or someone who has a job would they still be able to qualify for a public defender and what role would personal finances like play in the elig- eligibility process like for example so i like i'm young yes i just started working a job recently but i would say like okay i i technically do make below the poverty line cuz i only work 2 days a week but for someone who has a job where they might work more days or have more hours and make more monthly or yearly so if they just fall below the private line, would they still be able to qualify even if they are working?
1: So I wanna answer the question, the way that it's being asked, which makes sense, is like as if there's a really hard line. And I wanna be clear that the goal in most places is not to turn people away, right? People have a constitutional right to representation. Um, if And so affordability I don't know a lot of offices that are like really really sticklers about this and maybe i shouldn't say that but i think that that's true right the goal is not to be like oh you make too much we we're not going to take you so the goal is to be have such a as wide of a net as possible and so i think at many places across this country are not um splitting hairs in that way i think when we see an issue is when someone uh says to the court oh i want to hire someone and then doesn't and comes back and says oh i need the public defender and then the court right? The judge starts questioning them about what assets do they have? Do they own property? How much they make a year? What is their output? Right. How much do they, do they uh, have children? Right. Do they pay a mortgage like that sort of thing? We see that happen a lot more, but I would say, I would say on average, if you are making the average public defender salary, you can probably qualify for a public defender. So, um, you can make somewhere around like forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 a year and still qualify for the public defender.
2: Really? And yeah, that's actually very interesting because I was just going to say, you know, how much does a public defender actually make yearly? Because if someone could make what a public defender makes yearly and still be able to qualify, then for people falling, for people working who are still falling below the poverty line, you know, it would still work out regardless though.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, on average, public defenders make probably somewhere about 40 something thousand dollars a year for taking, you know, all of the numbers into account. Public defenders in California probably make a little bit more. Public defenders in, New York uh, in places more. like Tennessee probably make a bit less on average, probably around that number.
2: But oh. kind of so just depending on the area and the location, they might make they may make more, they may make less. but. For someone working, if you make something close to or similar as to what a public defender would make, you'd still be able to qualify regardless.
1: You're probably gonna be okay. You're probably gonna be okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. I have I would like for you, and I'm gonna explain why. I I was under the impression the way cases are handled with the with the public defender's office is also the way they are handled with a private attorney and i had spoke with one of your colleagues and i found out differently now and one of that's one of the reasons i wanted you on here because i would like to for you to explain the process of what happens when someone gets a public defender because we know when you get in trouble in court and they say do you want they don't they don't explain the process to you of how this works so I would like you to explain the process for people who are planning on getting in trouble or who might get in trouble what they're in for and not saying it's something negative because it's not I think I actually think maybe a public defender is better because you know the court's And the people in the courts better than a private, a private attorney. Am I correct?
1: We definitely have more institutional knowledge, right? And because there's more of us, we can see more things and we can report back to the, to the office, to the unit, right? So it's a bit easier to have conversations, to develop insights, to have institutional relationships. um, And to also know how specialized programs work, certain diversion programs, right? Different opportunities when they come up, we have, Forms and systems to apply our clients for those, whereas private attorneys may not have those same systems in place. So, in some sense, there's definitely an advantage to being at the public defender's office and working with a public defender. But cases are assigned, and and, and again, this changes across the country um, in many ways. But we are, you know, from the time that you are uh, arraigned. And a public defender is going to be in court. We're just assigned to that place. So no, you're not picking us, but there's someone who's going to stand next to you when the first discussion about bail is happening. And then our system is what we call a horizontal system. And so each section of the way from preliminary hearing to formal arraignments to getting a trial courtroom and a felony court case, you will have a different attorney assigned to you. And the way that's happening, right? The basis of the assignment is certainly based on seniority, right? So a preliminary hearing attorney who is in municipal court cannot be assigned um, a felony trial case. And in our office, it's often vice versa, um, where a felony trial attorney is not usually assigned a case in municipal court. But it's based, so it's based on your level of seniority, your level of experience. And then I think a lot of our supervisors work really hard to do some level of personality or expertise matching to make sure that there is a good fit. We do care, right, how our clients feel about interacting with us, and we do the best that we can. There's often um, more clients than we can have perfect fits for. So at times, you're just assigned based on your caseload, right? If I have more cases than someone else, then if what's fair is for my supervisor to give a new case to someone else and not to me, even if they think it, I might be a better fit for it.
0: Okay. Um, the process, but like you said, you guys are assigned to courtrooms, correct?
1: That, yes. Yeah, so that is the case. Um, thing, I know the colleague that you're speaking of. And so that is the case after you get That's to a certain... That's my dude. Level. I like him. That's my dude. <laughs> yes. Because he explained it to me. So can you explain that yes. part? So he's um, so he's been at the office for much longer than I have. And so after you hit a certain point, there is a room assignment system that isn't the case for, let's say if uh, someone has a municipal court case or a misdemeanor case, I don't want them to be disappointed and say, well, wait, I was in the same room, but I have a different attorney. That is That is going to be the case at that level of court. When we get to felony court, most of the time, most of the time, you are assigned to... An attorney is assigned to a given courtroom and so whatever cases are coming into that courtroom are the cases that they get and that's just sort of it there is no longer conversation about match or personality or this or that Um, but it does allow the attorney to build a relationship with the courtroom staff right so in the same way that we respect our wait staff right and our support staff um in the world right and our custodial staff we respect our court staff and those relationships are often incredibly helpful in making the day go more smoothly so there are benefits to sort of having what what we call repeat play right having the same folks in the same room all the time um, and having good relationships with the people who matter the most which are often the court staff
0: excellent excellent um Rel, do you have another question? Because I got a lot of questions.
1: (laughs) I I wanted to ask before Rell, I I wanted to answer before Rel goes, uh, the question that you asked about things that you should look out for. Yes, please. You're thinking through, right? Whether you feel comfortable with your attorney or not. Um, The number one thing that I think people think they're supposed to experience is they're supposed to experience an attorney who is telling them all good news, all positive things, and guaranteeing them great outcomes. And while that's gonna feel good, especially when you're in crisis, that is not the indication because any attorney, public defender or private worth their salt, knows that they are not supposed to and should not ethically or morally guarantee you outcomes because we just can't do that. So the goal is not to look for someone who's telling you, oh yeah, I can win this. Oh yeah, I can make this happen for you. Don't you worry, just pay me this and I can get you out of this. The goal is to look for an attorney who is responsive and communicative, right? Who is answering your questions, who's explaining things to you, who's defining words, who's willing to answer the phone, who's willing to say, who's willing to set firm boundaries, but also say, hey, you know, this is this we can work out, this we can't, this we can't, but this we can. Someone who's being honest and real with you. And it's okay to use your gut, right? Use your gut feeling about how they're communicating just because... We have a specialized education. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we are competent generally. So (laughs) if you're hearing something and you're like, I can't believe that's the law. Right. You can always ask your attorney, hey, can you can you show me or can you explain me explain to me how or why this is the law? And there are going to be a good number of things where I'm going to say that's not written down anywhere. That's how they do it here. And it's not fair or maybe it works well for us, but it's not written down. And so that can that can be a frustrating point. But those are not that's not like one of the reasons why you should say, oh, no, this person is full of it and I can't trust them. Just ask questions. Right. Stay in communication. And even though it's really hard because folks are are in one of the worst experiences of their lives, try not to shut down right try to keep open lines of communication try not to be paralyzed by the just the surmounting stress and the surmounting pressure and really communicate and if there's someone who's communicating back with you who's who's talking to you who's not saying don't worry about that or that's my job or you know that doesn't matter that's how you know that you're in a good place
0: definitely um your colleague that we both know (laughs) my dude he said that he's like um we want people to ask questions. He's like if you get an attorney that doesn't want you to ask questions, that's not an attorney you need. So, and a lot of people like you said, they because you're a, you have a specialty, they feel as though they're they're like I'd say a number of people are fearful of authority. They don't want to ask you questions cuz they're like, "Oh, they know more than me." But you guys want you want people to ask questions. You want them to ask a lot of questions, correct? That's right. That's right. Ro, do you have another question?
2: Yes, I I forgot that I muted, you know, in case my background gets a little noisy. Thank you for that. I was going to say that she kind of did. She did kind of answer a little bit of one of the questions, which was one one thing I was going to ask, which was what are some like challenges or downsides that someone could encounter in the role of a public defender?
1: You're asking as as a public defender, what are some of the challenges yeah, I face so,
2: um, Yeah, so as a public defender, what are some of the different challenges or downsides that you might face being a public defender? For example, like how people might wanna pick, for example, how people might not wanna pick you because they may not think you're necessarily a reliable resource to use.
1: Sure, yeah, People. I mean, people don't get to pick me and that's definitely a struggle because people feel more comfortable when they're able to make the choice, right? That just That just makes sense. People often feel more comfortable when, um, or think something is more valuable when they pay for it. And so that is a a hurdle, right? That I just, I can't overcome. There's nothing I can do about that because that's the nature of the job. You can pay me, you can pick me, um, and you Mm -hmm. you won't know me ahead of time. And so that like, that's tough. And the only thing that I can do is try to work and communicate and show myself, but I can't undo that part of the system or that part of the structure. So, that's, so that is really a difficult part. I think also not being able to make promises is tough because you want to. You care about this. We care about this work. The client cares about this work in their life. And it would feel so much better if I could say for sure, this is what's going to happen. I promise you nothing worse than this is going to happen. And I can never do that. And that's that's incredibly difficult because I know that I would want that type of certainty and I can't give it to anyone. And that's that makes for tough days. That makes for tough days.
0: Thank you so much. for Once again, thank you for coming on. Um, when you come back, you mentioned diversion programs. So yeah. when we come back, I definitely want to talk about those because I think those are important. And also there is an expungement event coming up. If you could shed some light on that. That would be great. But before we take our brief pause, if you or someone you know is yearning for a fresh start from the weight of a conviction, head to Booth CDC at 6010 Lansdowne Avenue in Philadelphia on Tuesday, December 5th. Once again, Tuesday, December 5th at 11 a.m. And seize the opportunity to clear your record and embark on a change in life. For more details, reach out to the Philadelphia Lawyers for Equality at 215-887-9411. The ARC will be right back. Groundings
2: with Brother Shamari right now on Word Radio and (laughs) WordRadio.com.
0: We're back and we're joined by attorney Jacqueline Newsom of the Defender Association of Philadelphia. Before we before we went to commercial, um she had mentioned uh the diversion programs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and I want to know if you could touch on that more, please.
1: Absolutely. So when we talk about diversion programs, we're talking about programs that typically allow people to have an alternative resolution alternate to a conviction and the trade-off is they do some type of programming so diversion is saying hey instead of having a criminal record right or being convicted of this specific thing you can do something else right and in exchange your conviction will be offset so a lot of the um, there's a there's a program that I really like um, that's called EAU. Now I'm not I'm not gonna lie to you guys. The acronyms I struggle with, but EAU specifically <laughs> is a program for people between I want to say 18 and like 24, uh, and it's a program that encourages employment, that helps with training, that helps with GEDs or high school diplomas, and essentially, if you are um, charged with a certain crime, now. It, Typically, right, there are crimes that are not eligible for diversion programs. But if there's a certain crime that fits within the eligibility that you're accused of and you don't have prior, prior criminal history and you're within that age range, for example, you can do something in lieu of going to trial or even potentially pleading guilty and you won't have a criminal conviction. And that something that you end up doing is often going to help you in the future, right? So it's going to be um, job readiness, right? Or education, that sort of thing. And so those programs really help our clients who are young, right? And a a conviction would really hurt them or derail their lives. There are also conviction, there are also diversion programs for uh, folks with gun offenses, which I think is really helpful. Um, that program is called AFD. And so if you have been um, arrested on a gun charge, and again, you don't have a certain past criminal history, right? There's certainly limitations. And you do certain things, including, of course, turning in any other guns that you have, showing proof that you purchased the gun legally, that sort of thing. You can often do other program, right? Gun violence awareness classes, that sort of thing to help you um, get away from a conviction. And so there there are things like that in almost every sector, whether it's domestic violence court, we have mental health court programs, a lot of opportunities to help folks uh, just avoid criminal convictions because we know once you're convicted, it's very, very difficult to have the same opportunities. And I want to correct myself. I've, I've continued to say we have, we have. We don't have them. Uh, this These are typically... Uh, these are typically programs through either the courts or through the district attorney's office. We at the public defender's office keep an eye out for eligibility of our clients so that we make sure we're applying people to these programs. And I think that is a huge benefit of the public defender's office because we are intimately familiar with the office, with the with the different programs. We are able to be thinking about them constantly. We have special measures in our office to make sure that folks are applied or someone's always saying, hey, are they eligible for diversion? Are they eligible for diversion? And that helps us make sure that we apply as many people as possible. But these are not our programs. And the reason why I wanna make that distinction is because at the Public Defender's Office, our goal or our job or our belief is not that, oh, well, people need to do this thing or that thing to get out of trouble. We don't agree with, right, the idea that someone who's 18 years old, that their life would be destroyed from a conviction such that a program needs to be created to get them out of it. Like that in and of itself is perverse. And so we are not on the side, right, of the carceral state. We don't support these types of notions, but we are grateful, right, when we can have access to them because they end up helping our clients. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I have these,
0: And I know it sounds weird, but like victimless crimes. The first time I call it an accidental crime and through these. And I like the diversions because through that, you can tell if someone actually made a mistake or if someone's really a criminal by the way they act with these programs. Am I correct? You just gave me a weird
1: look. (laughs) I want to push back. So I personally, before I get in trouble and don't have a job, I personally Um, I'm a prison abolitionist. And so I believe in using person first language. And so no one is a criminal because that's not their identity. There are people who commit crimes and um, there is a legal thinker and leader, Brian Stevenson, who reminds us that we are all more than the worst thing we've ever done. And so no, none of my clients are criminals. They are folks who have, because of circumstances or situations, done committed crimes, right, or done things that they are not proud of, but that they are not criminals. That is not fundamentally who they are. They're someone's mother or father or sister or brother or child or aunt and uncle, and that's the fullness of who they are. So these programs, absolutely, they allow people, they allow for people's lives to not be ruined. But I think the pushback on my part is, at no point should your life be ruined, especially when when we're going to talk about the criminal legal system in the context of Black and brown lives, right? And the ways in which it parallels um, chattel slavery and the goals of Jim Crow, right? If we wanna talk about systemic issues, right. human beings in cages isn't right. an answer to a systemic issue. No, it's For not. example, the ban on shisees or ski masks, right? Okay. Banning those in public is only going to allow the police to spend more time, right, and, give, and have different excuses yep. for approaching yes. black and brown folk, yes. right? Yes. If, the, if our concern is people are being robbed, then the question we need to ask is how do we create a society where people don't feel the need to
0: rob? And That is exactly what I say. Like with the gun violence, I'm like, it's not an idea of getting rid of the guns. The idea is to have guns in the middle of the street and not have people want to pick them up to kill one another that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the psychological and the mental approach to things. Even like you say with the diversion programs we have them and we're happy we have them but we should, instead of putting a band-aid on these things, we should go deeper into those with these issues going on. So I totally agree with that. Ral, what you doing? Ral's doing something for school. Ral goes to the Community College of Philadelphia by the way. Um, Now
2: yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm all over the place I right know,
0: now. I know, I know. So you have another question? Because like I said, I have yet. Oh, yeah, well,
2: <laughs> yeah one, especially because this, this topic isn't necessarily something that I have. I don't have much information on, so I don't really have that many questions. That's yet. a good thing. <laughs> we'll definitely dig into this a lot more. But one question is... So since people can't pick a public defender and, you know, they never know when they're going to get a public defender, if they get one, on average, how many cases would a public defender handle throughout the year? Since they aren't allowed to, you know, since people aren't allowed to pick them, they're kind of just randomly assigned
1: is what I want to say. Absolutely. Yeah. In Philadelphia County, we represent upwards of 80% of folks charged with crimes and our office is somewhere around somewhere under 250 attorneys. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: I, I forgot I had my mic on. Oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ooh, that's okay. Let's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, a lot of people think that public defenders are people that can't get hired at private attorney's offices. Please clear that up.
1: I, w- I would love to, and I love to, I'm working on bragging about myself. So Please I love do. Thing. I can, definitely I can brag. <laughs> so I went to uh, New York University undergrad. I went to the University of Chicago Law School, which now in the rankings is, is certainly top five. I can't remember where we are. It was five when I went. We might be at three now. And then I actually have another degree from uh, Emory University's Candler School of Theology. I'm actually also a preacher. And so My credentialing indicates that I could work truly wherever I want. So I picked this job and most of us pick this job because we wanna do the work. For one reason or another, we care about the cause, we care about our clients, we care about uh, upholding the constitution, we care about justice. And so this isn't a situation where folks are taking this job because they can't do anything else. We're taking this job and we, (laughs) we, Don't make a whole lot of money, right? So we're not doing it because we're getting rich. We're doing it because we care. So that is absolutely a myth. Um, We are doing this because we love the work and we love the service and not because we couldn't do anything else.
0: Basically, you're a public servant and that's what you chose to do instead of going into another particular part of law. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Because people, and I know a number of public defenders and that's what they all say people assume that we but a lot of them graduate top of their class but their mission is to help the community and help the public and help black and brown people especially when it comes to african-american or as i say black because a lot of people some people aren't american but when it comes to black people who are accused so I, I see you on that one, definitely. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, you are brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, now, so you say public offenders get paid about forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. That's around the average that, salary. That's the average salary. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, are you guys allowed the moonlight? No. <laughs> most places you are not. Really? No. Yeah, most places you are not. So sometimes folks can like maybe you can teach a class, like a law school class or something mm-hmm. like that, but you can't take other cases. Okay. So I can't do criminal cases for my, you know, for my day job at the public defender's office and then do a little contract work on over here and write civil over there. No, you cannot do that. Okay. <laughs> well, that's so. good to know. Um, I wanted to ask you,
0: okay you can't do work oh and this is what I would like for you to explain to people because an attorney told me this who does private is works as a does private law um, he told me that basically there's no set costs for what they charge it all depends on the case or what the person is charged with can you explain that to people so they understand that it's not like Like I just said it's not like there's a set Cost to what attorneys charge you Can you
1: explain that please Absolutely so One benefit right again if you qualify For the public defender is that you don't have to worry about Paying The private defense bar Doesn't have It's not like a menu right It's not like you can go online and say Oh you know a gun case Costs this amount of money and a Drug case costs this amount of money That's not how it works each individual attorney, each individual firm can charge whatever they see fit for their services. And as long as they can provide you with explanations for why, what, what costs, what it costs, that's sort of it. There's no real regulation around that. And so, of course, I think folks attempt to be competitive in the market. Right. So attorneys talk to other attorneys and say, oh, how much do you usually charge for this? Or what does your office do about this? That sort of thing. But attorneys who um, have good reputations, right, or who have spent more time in the field often charge more than newer attorneys who are trying to get their foot in the door. It's it's really a sliding scale. And that's not that's not sort of controlled or regulated by anyone. Bad, bad, bad. (laughs) Okay, now. A
0: lot of times, people say, "Okay, they'll need an attorney, and they may need an attorney for a civil case or something like that, and they can't really afford to pay a private attorney a lot of money." So they may um, seek out a student, a law student. Can they do that? Can you, a law student represents you, or do they have to pass the bar in order to represent you?
1: So that's. <laughs> They
0: a law student like can I call Penn and say uh, can I use do you have law students for pro bono work? Can I do that? There's a
1: nuance there. So a law student cannot represent you without being like overseen or supported by a licensed attorney. So they can't do it on their own under no circumstances. The only way you can practice law on your own is to have a law license is to have passed the bar so that's why that's why I'm pausing cuz I'm thinking when I was in law school of course we were able to represent clients but only because our clinical professor was there
0: okay 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 so but does law do law schools have that type of program for their law students where their law students can do pro bono work with the support of an actual attorney.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. So we call those clinical programs and law schools across the country have clinical programs because it helps students right learn, get access, get their feet wet. And it also helps the community um, folks get represented for low to no cost. And that is true for criminal matters, but also for civil matters. And there are some places like legal aid societies etc that provide um low cost or no cost civil type of support especially around housing and that sort of thing so you can find those organizations the difference is that in most places you don't have a constitutional right to an attorney okay in that circumstance okay
0: Rel, how are you doing over there
2: I'm doing okay <laughs> Just you know Tied it in the way For this assignment That's all
0: What Are I, I, am, I am Go ahead Listening
2: go. in though
0: Would you like to add a, Add anything to the Conversation Cause I'm kinda Interested huh? in the Disparities of The 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 clients Like In comparison Do you have More clients of color as opposed to white clients talk talk to me about that am i not saying am i saying this incorrectly what
1: am i doing wrong what am i saying I'm wrong i'm sorry i'm sorry my so my face was not about you saying it incorrectly it was about how i was going to answer gently well answer <laughs> and
0: don't answer gently answer brutally come on now put
1: it to <laughs> that it. was the, that was my facial expression i remember I'll, I'll i'll answer that question by way of anecdote um I remember doing a spring break of service when I was in law school and we went to public defender's office in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I remember asking an attorney at that office, white woman, why she did this work. And she said, because the clients remind me of my family, right, my uncles and my cousins. And then we went to court and certainly I saw more white men in court that day than I had ever seen, but there were still more black men in court. So I say that to say, certainly it's gonna matter where you are in the country, right? And what the demographics of the place, what the demographics are of where you are. Philadelphia County, right? Absolutely, we see a disproportionate number of black and brown folks in courts. Disproportionate meaning if we make up X percentage of the population, we're doubling or tripling that representation in the prison population, 100%. But that's because black and brown folks are are both over and under police at the same time, right? That's, I mean, that is how a racist white supremacist society works. So, So there's no surprise, my answer is not surprising.
0: No, it's not surprising, but I wanted it just to give people some understanding of what's going on. We got to go to break. However, if anyone has a question or comment for our guest, attorney Newsom, please call 215-634-8065. Once again, the number is 215-634-8065 or toll-free at 866 866- Three six one zero nine hundred. Or you can chat about our conversation with other word watchers at word TV on Facebook, YouTube and Twitch. And before we go to break, um, let me tell you, if you or someone, you know, is yearning for a fresh start from the weight of a conviction on. December the 5th at 11 a.m. Tuesday, December the 5th at 11 a.m. There will be an expungement conversation taking place at Booth CDC at 6010 Lansdowne Avenue in Philadelphia. Attend so you can learn more about possibly getting your conviction expunged. The ARC will be right back
2: on Groundings with Brother Shamari right now on Word Radio and WordRadio.com.
0: And we are back on ARC. We're talking to Attorney Newsome regarding public defenders in the city, the process, the stereotypes, and what we can expect. We've been talking about an expungement workshop where you have a chance to get rid of your clear your record. I'm going to ask Attorney Newsom to talk about the, po- the process of expungement, how many years as far as it goes in Philadelphia.
1: Absolutely. So, if anyone listening feels disappointed or doesn't like what I'm saying, this is absolutely something that we can fight about in legislation because that's who is controlling this these rules, right? It's not the public defender's office. It's not the courts. It's not the prosecutor's office. It's our elected officials. And so an expungement clinic, um, this event is going to allow folks who have not been convicted of certain crimes to get those crimes off of their record. So you can only get something expunged if it is not a conviction. And that is surprising to hear because that's not how we think about it or how we talk about it. And that's not what you would expect And you're thinking about, oh, this great benefit, me clearing up my record, that must mean that if I was convicted 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I can get that wiped away. Maybe you can, but it's not through an expungement. You have to do a separate process of petitioning a separate entity in order to get a conviction off of your record. And you have to be pardoned by the governor. An expungement is only about if you were arrested but not convicted. So the, the the language we use loosely, right, is if your case was thrown out. If you were arrested but your case was thrown out, that arrest is still showing up on your record and it still could be inhibiting you. And you can get that taken off of your record. But it, it's not, it can't be a conviction. If you were convicted of if you were if you were accused of two crimes in the same incident, but only convicted of one, that second crime you can get that expunged. That's how expungement works. And so the process is you, depending upon you know who's hosting the expungement, you fill out information. Oftentimes it's your name, your date of birth, your address, your social security number. The, the attorneys there will look up the case information. They'll you know what's eligible for expungement and what isn't. They submit the petition to the court. Usually it takes up to a year for that to, you know, churn through the system court date comes up, most of the time you don't have to be there. An attorney comes in on your behalf, you know, argues for the expungement. The DA's office oftentimes agrees. And then the matter is expunged. And you receive a letter in the mail indicating, you know, this docket number, this charge was expunged. in that way, when you are having a background check for employment or for housing, those arrests, right, or those contacts with the police that don't result in convictions are no longer showing up.
0: I am so glad you explained that because I mean, for as long as I can remember, people say expungements have to do with convictions. If you've been, if you have a clean record for a certain amount of time, then you can get them overturned. I am so glad you cleared that up. Can you please? And also I'm glad you cleared it up because there are a number of people who have encounters on their records of being arrested, but they haven't been convicted, that are dealing with this, and so we're going to have more people at this clinic than anything. Because I like you, like we say, you know, it's black and brown people that have the most interactions with police. So there, and there's a lot of guys out here, a lot of people out here who don't know that you can get an arrest removed if you have not been convicted. So That's everyone right. out there. Head down to that clinic. Um, we have a caller. Are you up for some questions? Absolutely. Okay, we have Yousef from North Philly. Youssef.
3: Yes. My question is, okay, I was represented by the Public Defender's Office in a 1979 case when I was uh, falsely accused of burglary, uh, criminal trespass, and some other uh, offenses when I entered a apartment building looking for an apartment to rent, but I mistakenly knocked on the door of a door that was made out of glass panels, and one of them came loose, and so I called it before it could break, I put it on the side, opened the door, and I went in to try to find out if there was an apartment available. Okay, I had an encounter with uh, a tenant and they assumed that I came there for something other than what I came there for and then they called the police on me and the police just accused me of being a criminal rather than a person looking for a place you know to rent and the public defender's office represented me in court and when I went to court, the first thing they asked me was, are you on parole or probation? I'm like, Dude, what has this got to do with the fact that I have been charged with charges I didn't commit? And the judge, then uh, Judge Jenkins, at the preliminary hearing was throwing out charges, aggravated assault and other charges that I did not commit. But I still had other charges that they didn't throw out. But the public defenders, only thing they wanted to do was be on the side of the police who had charged me with false charges and the D.A. who wanted the conviction because everybody knows that district attorneys, their convictions helped them move up in the echelon of the uh, law enforcement so they could become judges or whatever. And I was like, dude, I haven't committed a crime. It's not a crime to enter a building you don't live in looking for a place to rent. Even though I didn't live there, I came there for Positive reasons, not for negative. But they did not, in any form or fashion, try to have that. You know what I was uh, came in for? Exposing the courtroom. Instead, I want to be convicted of criminal trespass. Yeah, I trespass, but trespassing is a summary offense. When you add the word criminal trespass, that makes it a felony. You and said I want to serve me ten years because they did not. Oh wow! Tell me that. If I plead guilty and wasn't satisfied with the outcome of the guilty plea, that I could take the guilty plea and, and withdraw it within 10 days. They didn't give me information on the 10-day, you know, limit. And okay. I up, when I found that out, the 10 days was over. Okay, okay Youssef,
0: we're running out of time. I'm going to get our attorney to address that. Okay, thank you for calling. Okay. Attorney Newsom, uh, anything? <laughs> uh, what is this ten day uh, re? What is he talking about? We're running out of time, but what is he talking about?
1: If we're if we're limited on time, I think actually the more important thing to address in this moment is to acknowledge the pain and frustration and the disappointment. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to take it upon myself to apologize to Mr. Yusuf on behalf of the Defender Association of Philadelphia Thank for you. the way that we mishandled him as a human being. It sounds to me that he does not feel heard or seen, and that is not how we want to treat human beings. That's not how we want to treat our community members. 1979 certainly is a long, long time before I was in a position to be at the public defender's office, And there are a lot of things that I know that our office and attorneys in general can do better with regard to explanations. There's a level of detail in which he provided, which is really important. And I'm not going to parse that through because I don't have his permission to do that. But I do hope um, that there's an opportunity for him to come up to the office so that someone can spend some more time walking him through that. The 10 days situation that he's talking about is essentially if you're going to enter a guilty plea, you have 10 days to essentially change your mind. Um, and he's saying that he wasn't informed of that. It is not valuable for me to push back and say, well, we actually have to inform you of that. We do it on the record, this and that. That's not what matters. What matters is that he does not feel good about that interacting with, interaction with the public defender's office. And that's not acceptable.
0: Thank you very much, Youssef. You, uh you heard Attorney Newsome Attorney Newsom, Give the information Where people can reach out To your office
1: So we Our office after COVID No longer takes walk-in So you can't simply walk in Without an appointment um, But we can schedule An appointment Likely the same day If you needed to So if you wanted to come To the Defenders Association And talk to an attorney You could do so um, By calling first uh, 215-568-3190 and saying, hey, I wanna to talk to someone, I have a question. Either I have a closed case or I have an open case. When you know, How soon can I get in to see someone in person or how soon can someone call me back? Um, if you are in court, if you have an open matter and you're in court, you can walk into almost any courtroom and tap the public defender and say, hey, here's my information, can someone give me a call back? We're located at 1441 Sansom Street. Um, so we're right across from like the Ocean Prime and Center City. Great.
0: We are are so out of time. Uh, and I wanted you to talk about your program for young people who are interested in becoming attorneys. But we're out of time. But they can call your office and find out more about that. Correct?
1: They sure can. Learn about our Junior Defenders program. Ask for Mr. Guy Lang. He runs the program. He's incredible. Uh, Rel, are you saying good night?
2: keep forgetting that I have my thing meeting, but <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a great conversation. I was listening in because I got some very valuable information that I never would have gotten had I not had to take the time, had to take my own time to dig deep into it. So it was definitely a great conversation, definitely very informational. I plan on looking very deep into it because there were some things that I really had no clue about, especially in terms of how public defenders actually work how to assign. So I do thank you for coming onto the show, you know, taking you the time can go down there, there and do some and
0: volunteer work if you want. It. Ro, you can go down there and do some volunteer work if you want.
1: You sure can. <laughs> you sure can. You, <laughs> can, you can come on whenever you want my mic. Uh, but we're
0: out of time. Thank you, Attorney Newsom.